Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is the last Wednesday night of the month of May. And um, what an exciting time to be alive, serving the King of Kings. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a privilege to be able to reach out to my congregation on this Wednesday and uh, also to greet and welcome into this study our Saints Network family that we truly are grateful to God uh, for, uh, for aligning us. Uh, we, I, I, I just sometimes I try to describe in my own thinking what uh, this Saints Network is and how, how we function as individuals before the throne of God as intercessors and the role that each part of this body of saints fulfills in God. And it, it's just hard to put it in words. We're going to talk about that briefly in just a few minutes. But um, before we get into our study, which is entitled Heirs and Joint Heirs, there is an outline available for you. It should be posted. You can access that. I do want to give uh, an announcement, um, particularly pertaining to my congregation here in Dallas, but um, for those who are walking in this pathway with us, it should be of interest to you as well. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, as we felt directed by the Spirit from the book of Malachi, we have been compiling individually a book of remembrance pertaining to the things that God has done in our lives as saints, as saints. You know, I've been a Christian for decades now, so I wasn't listening, listing in my book all of the things that have happened in my life since I was a little kid. There have been a lot of them. The things that God has done, ways that God has directed me. But since we've become saints, so we've been writing those things down, both as an individual and as a corporate entity. And this fifth month, we normally dedicate to a time of doing away with uh, any points of bitterness so that we can partner more fully with the Lord. That's what we've uh, we felt God is directing us in accordance with the principle of the fast of feasting in the Old Testament. So we come into Memorial Day weekend with this book of remembrance also ending the fifth month. And at the beginning of our service this coming Sunday, we're going to be giving an opportunity for people to share one thing that they are extremely grateful for in their personal covenant with the Lord as a saint. Now, if everybody in our church just stood up and regaled with long, flowing words, the day would be consumed. I mean the day. So we're going to try to limit this to one thing 
per person if they want to get up and share. And uh, hopefully it will be something that grows together. Uh, perhaps if somebody's hearing a person speak about a particular thing, and then maybe another person gets up and shares about relatively that same thing from your bevy of insights, you might be inclined to say, well, you know, maybe I'll share about this instead since this is already, these other, this other thing has already been mentioned. So our service this coming Sunday, for those of you who tune in, is going to be a little bit different. The last Sundays of the month, have been. We've been trying to interject points of um, tangible ministry uh, at the beginning of the service leading up to communion. But I would also say that if, if you've been walking this same pathway with a book of remembrance, you might also want to consider drawing it to a conclusion since the end of the month is, is here. And then a week from today is the first Wednesday in June. And so we are going to be having some kind of a prayer gathering here on that night. That will be more fully directed. Maybe, maybe it can be something that is a network-wide invitation to prayer. And then as the summer rolls on, we, we're going to be uh, trying to... Uh, present before the Lord different types of prayer pursuits as directed by the Spirit from the Scriptures. And um, hopefully, as we do this, we will be being trained by the Spirit in a, in a heightened measure of perception and hearing from God. So that's where we're going. I threw out all that stuff in just know that this coming Sunday is going to be a bit different. And, uh, of course, it's always Communion Sunday, the last Sunday of the month. So if you're joining with us, be prepared to partake of communion in some way. All right. I felt the Spirit leading me to the topic that we're going to discuss today. And... Um, that's always a good thing, isn't it? Well, I don't know why I came up with this. You know, I just didn't have anything. And so I figured we'd give this a stab. <laughs> I hate that kind of thing. Um, but the Spirit did direct this, and I, I, I hope you're ready to study. You know, we have, for tra traditionally, the church has said Wednesday night or the midweek service is prayer and Bible study. And we as pneumaticos people should be ready to study, to show ourselves approved workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we're going to study this. You have an outline, so put your thinking caps on, and here we go. We talk about heirs and joint heirs, and we recognize that it's part of the progression that the Scripture readily depicts concerning how the people of God are to grow in their service for him. Sometimes, particularly with this first passage that we're going to be reading out of Romans 8, people think that because the Bible says this, that we are automatically this. I know there's a major ministry out west that uh, one of their teachers says that 
when you're born again, you you have all you automatically have all this authority and you have all these things. And theoretically that's true, but practically it's not. If you believe what the scripture says, any more than my little baby grandson who's just a few months old, he has the potential to do a lot of things and we're going to do our best to train him uh, his parents are in any way that we can help to to grow and develop, but he doesn't have any authority right now. He has rights, hopefully. You know, uh, uh, if you were a progressive about five months ago, he had no rights at all, even though he's a fully formed being. But, you know, he's got to be grown and developed, and he's got to be given opportunities to display service and authority and then he's given more so to say that as soon as we're born again we are heirs and joint heirs that sings well but it's not what the scripture says so let's read this and we're going to study about what it means to be an heir and a joint heir scripturally and also how we get there because there's a very clear progression throughout the body of Scripture. Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons, weos, of God. If you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, note this, that we are the children of God, and that's technon. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, that is a mouthful. Um, Our objective is to become sons. In the Greek New Testament, huios is the word son. And that is more of an identity from God that you enter into uh, if if you're going to be a son, you you really have to. You can be a child of God. You can be born again. But if you're going to be classified as a son, you've got to be. Um, you've got to really be functioning. Uh, down at the bottom of your page, I. I never know the way the Spirit is going to lead and how we share this. We'll get back up to Romans 8 here in just a second. But look at the bottom of page 1 where it speaks about a son. Huios. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. When Jesus, when Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting upon him, And lo, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, Pios, in whom I am well pleased. Hebrews 12, 7-9 through 
If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? If you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards, and not, not sons. So, could it mean that if you are, are, obviously he's writing to Christians, and if you reject the training of the Lord, you're, you're really not functioning with the Father in the way you should be, and you are not functioning as sons. That's very, very clear. Ephesians 4, top of page 2, verses 11 through 13 And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, all of that, those verses speak about what it means to be a son. You are serving the Father. You are being trained obediently by the Father. And you, as your goal, is to want to be like Christ. Now, we'll come back to that Ephesians 4 passage here in a little bit. But let's return then to um, this progression of becoming sons. Um, Notice in uh, Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, nepios, does not differ from a servant, even though he is Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Now here's another one of these passages that speaks about even though you are called to be an heir, if you're still a child in the faith, you're still in a training mode. You're a servant. And there are a lot of verses that speak about nepios. That's an infant. And... um, We all begin that way. There's a progression I've listed there in the middle of the page. The progression toward being considered a functioning son, huios. You begin with being a baby, nepios. There is also the consideration of the Greek word padea, which is the child in development. And it doesn't have to be a baby. You remember when Jesus, after his resurrection, he was at the shore and he yelled out to his disciples and he says, children, pat him on. Do you have any meat? They didn't recognize who he was. They didn't know who he was. And they said, no. And he said, throw your net on the other side. But he called them seasoned disciples, Padeon, which meant you're still in training. So there's, there's a progression here. The next is the maturing child. Technon. Technon. Um, 
Notice, notice um, in verse 16 of Romans 8, the passage that we are looking at. See, I told you we're studying today. This is an this outline goes back and forth because the scriptures go back and forth in this. And you as pneumaticos people should be sharp enough to be able to follow this. So if you go up, back up to verse 16, what does that say after Abba, Father? Which, again, we're not going to be talking about that much today. But that means to being appealing to the Heavenly Father for his, in his foundational identity and to commit yourself to whatever it is that he is wanting to do in the deepest measure. That's what Abba means. That's why Jesus prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. It, it does not necessarily mean daddy in the scripture. It means that you are pursuant of the deepest walk with God and that you're willing to do whatever he wants, but the onus is upon the, uh, the restoration of God's um, initial ideals, what he has wanted to do from the foundation of the world. So it says in verse 16, the spirit bears witness, arteria, with our spirit, the spirit within us that is born again only through Christ, that we are children, technon, of God. Now, technon is the maturing child. It's, it's not the nepios. A technon is uh, a child that is growing toward adulthood. And when, according to verse 16 that we just read, the Spirit of God begins to appeal to our spirit so that we will begin to embrace what God wants to do, to die to self, maturion, marturion, so that we then can be known as the children of God, so that we then can partner with God. So when the Spirit begins to recognize that the spirit within us is willing to do that, then we begin to be the, the, really the beginning of development in the process of becoming sons occurs. Now, if you're not willing, I'm just going off what the scripture says, and we're going to see this borne out over and again. If you're not willing to enter into the developmental process that the father has for his children, then what we read earlier means that you are not sons. You may be children of God. You may be born again. Don't don't let don't confuse what I'm saying here. See, we just lump all these things, all these scriptures together into a Vitamix of our doctrine and blend them all and think they all mean the same thing. They don't. I'm not suggesting that people that don't go further in the things of the Spirit are not born again. I'm not suggesting that. We're talking about being sons here. And so when, when we um, when we begin to pray 
to the Father in the name of Jesus. So that's why Jesus came, so that we would know the Father. And we begin to say, we want your will to be done. We want your kingdom to come. We want the restoration of what you're trying to do in your mysteries. Then the Spirit begins to recognize that willingness to die to self. And he, the Spirit of God, bears witness with what? Our spirit, that born-again spirit. And we then enter into the training to become sons. And then as we're doing that, then we are given the opportunity to participate as heirs. And then there's a secondary phrase, heirs of God. And then joint heirs, if we're willing, with Christ, if we're willing to suffer with him, to participate in his glory. Am I confusing this? Am I making things up? Am I twisting the scripture? No. No, I'm not. I'm just saying what it says. And so, what we've seen thus far is this progression. You can be a baby in Christ, Nepios, and there are lots of verses that talk about this. I mean, you can look this up. And it's not pretty. It describes the church. You know, these babies are just wanting milk. These babies are blown about by different doctrines. These babies are, are just wanting to be entertained. And if you're in that position, you're in the family, but people are always having to take care of you and tolerate you. You're not serving any purpose other than, you know, just the delight of sharing the love of your family. And that's a wonderful thing. But if I thought for one minute that my granddaughters would stay the, 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 the age they are and the maturity level they are for the rest of their life, I would, be, I would be distraught. If I thought that my little grandson, as cute as he is and as... Uh, endearing as he is was just going to provide that for us and we could just sing about the love of God and oh he takes care of us and if that was all I wouldn't be doing my job and my daughter and son-in-law wouldn't be doing theirs do you see what I'm saying so here it is if we really are entering into what God redeemed us to do to become sons then we've got to learn to cry Abba Father and then as we do that the spirit of God will recognize that our spirit is willing to begin to submit itself to God and then we are put in a position of being technon we are growing and then, if we're faithful, faithful in the small things, ruler over many, God takes those technon and then offers opportunities to become heirs. And then as you're faithful in that, God gives you a little bit more in that. 
you're representing him. You're not just serving as an heir in certain elemental ways, but now God is giving you more. You're, you're being entrusted by him to do more. And then as you do that, you're given the privilege of standing with Christ as a joint heir. And if you're willing to suffer with him, that he may be glorified in you and you in him. But that's the progression. It's not a one fell swoop. You see, there are a lot of churches, and we need this. We need, we need for people to be evangelistic. We need for people to talk about the presence of God and loving him. We need to be taking care of one another and loving one another. We need that. But it's the same principle of the saints and the general church. you got to have somebody that puts on their big boy pants and says there's more to it than just having babies. you got to develop. You've got to grow. And we've got to become Christ-like. So we read Ephesians 4 just a minute ago, the top of page 2, verse 11. We began reading about the fivefold offices. And you see there in verse 12 that the reason God released the fivefold, which is the mind of Christ, the way God thinks, the way God declares things, it's also a flow pattern of giftings and um, capacities within the church. We know this from studying this. But in the midst of that, you have for the perfecting of the saints. This gives us a, a, a unique glimpse at a factor that the saints fulfill. Now, we've written about the saints. We are the saints network, thank God. So I don't, this is not our topic for the day. But the saints are committed to partnering with the angelic to bring about the holiness of God. That's what the name means. Both angels say that, and the saints are called that. They're not dead people that are up in heaven that you pray to. They're not classified by the Catholic Church if you've worked a couple of miracles and you have different councils that approve your beatification and your sainthood. Saints are in the church, or should be in the church, pursuing a partnership with the angelic to see what God's eternal plan, how it can be manifested, how it can be brought forward. And, and you see, for the perfecting, those are wonderful words. For is pros. That's a forward thing. Pros of what? Catartismos. It's used once here, but it is that word that we know from our medical understanding, a catharos, uh, um, it's uh, a catheter. People have a catharsis moment where they break through so that flow, proper flow can happen. Um, unclean spirits are akarthatos. They block the flow. It's not just that they're stinky and dirty, like, like the kid and Charlie Brown who has the dirty blanket. Um, but they are, the saints are to be moving with God proactively toward opening things. 
opening what God has wanted. And this empowers the work of the ministry, the, the edifying, the building up of what the body of Christ should be till we all come in the unity, the cohesive function of faith at the right hand of God and of a knowledge learning about, learning with, learning to become sons of God with Jesus, to be a person who is dealing in the way God envisioned us to move so that we could accept the duties, the, the metros, uh, the, the responsibilities of the stature of the fullness of what Christ wants. So you've got the fivefold mind of Christ. You've got the saints who are pro- prophetically, proactively moving forward to open things up so that all these other things can happen. Unity here is not everybody just agreeing. Consensus is the death of leadership, Martha, Mar, uh, Margaret Thatcher said. And Ronald Reagan agreed. Um, you, you, you don't just sing Kumbaya so that everybody's happy. But it's, it's a function where different parts are moving in the way they should. Man, the church, the regular church, is doing a lot of good things, a lot of things right. But a lot of them, the enemy is attacking the church in weird ways right now. You know, the progressive mindset is coming. You know, there, we, my, my oldest daughter told me uh, about a large, well-known church in the northern part of the city, right on 635. It's a cool kid's place to be, you know. It's a hep place. It's even got a cool name. I'm not going to name it. But the pastor there began to speak about how they needed to believe the Bible and they needed to call sin, sin. And he talked about that for a little while and then his board of elders rose up and gave him the hee-ho, the heave-ho, because they couldn't have that. It was turning people off. Speak the word of God. Well, I'm so thankful that our board here is an advisory board of people who are all committed to the same thing. They're not a governing board. I'm accountable to them. What if Jesus' disciples was his board? And when Peter stood up and said, not so, Lord, you know, you're not going to go do that, they could have put him on sabbatical. <laughs> Can you imagine such a thing? And there are a lot of other ways that the enemy's trying to defile the church, but the point is, that we as saints need to be functioning in a fivefold mentality to know what the mind of God is really saying and through intercession, the study of the word, and to, through our intercession, open up pros, ways of, of uh, flow and capacity and, uh, and so that the, the ministry will actually function and that the body of Christ will be built. And, you know, I have learned that this walk of the saints, tell me if you haven't too, is kind of a 
It's an important work. It's a vital work. You know, the Lord, God is the king of saints. He cherishes his saints. The angels partner with the saints. But it is, it is a, a, a really an un, unsung work. You know, you, you work toward providing these things and breakthroughs and flows, and you happily do that because you want that. It's like that song Rick Pino sings about being a pioneer. When you arrive, nobody knows. And then others will come and they'll build the greatest, biggest thing. And, and, and they'll try to say to you, look, what you're doing is, is nothing. You know, look where we are. You need to come over to us, not recognizing that it, scripturally the work of the saints is what provided that opening. So we've got to keep our minds set. We cannot compare ourselves with other people. We've got to love everybody. But we've got to recognize what the Word of God really says. And so you have this progression of being babies and then becoming a maturing child, technon, and then becoming an heir and an heir of God, which is according to what we read in Galatians 4. I said 1 through 7, but it's really uh, verses 1 and 2 there. An heir is equal to a lord, kurios. In, in the Bible paradigm, and then a joint heir. So, all that being said, we finally get around to talking about heirs and joint heirs. How's that for an introduction? What is an heir in the scripture? Well, this is this unique word, Greek word, kleronomos. Geronimo! Chloronomos. Maybe that's what it is. You, <coughs> you is for a saint. You just dive into the depths and you're yelling Chloronomos. <laughs> you know that old uh, that old thing where people cried Geronimo, and uh, Geronimo was a famous uh, warrior in the American Southwest, American Indian, na Native American, and um, he was being pursued by his enemies and. He rode his horse off a cliff, I guess, into water below, and that the pursuers were not willing to do that. And so it becomes kind of a term if people jump out of an airplane, you know, a paratrooper or something, they'll often yell, Geronimo. So that's why I said Chloronimos. I did that for the benefit of Luke, my dear brother from France. So Chloronimos. This comes from kleros. Now, the reason we're going through this, we want to understand what an heir is, okay? Kleros, which means bits and pieces. And that gained its uh, uh, terminology from klao, K-L-A-O, which is how lots were cast or the dividing of... Uh, the the heritage like when Moses uh, divided the land the Septuagint authors use this word to describe how he did that this is also found as we've studied 
in the breaking of bread, which represents the body of Christ at the table of communion. So when we talk about being an heir, chloronomos, it's a descriptive of a person who has embraced what God has divinely ordained for them to be. They are functioning in what he created them to be as the body of Christ. They are perhaps standing in the appointed terio that God called them to serve in. You see, if we, we sing that, I remember the old chorus, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And then it goes on, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this on. I don't know what we think that means. I think we think it means that we are walking around in kingly robes and we have plenty of this and plenty of that and we can just call this as though it were and have it immediately and we think that but we don't recognize that this term heir has to do with first of all what we're called to be by God's divine assignment maybe that's why your first heirs you begin to you begin in in Romans 8 you begin to exhibit what God called you to be, what God called you to be. And then if you are an heir of God, that means that you are functioning on his behalf in the place that he's called you to serve. You've gained a directive from the throne to do something where you've been called to serve. You're part of the body of Christ. You're being empowered at the table of commune when the bread is broken. This is what God talks to you about. Um, this is what God in grace empowers you for. You know, Moses divesting the land to the tribes. And he proclaims things about those leaders. And, you know, that is responsibility. It's, it's not... It's not just being um, somebody who has the bling. So if you're an heir, that really aligns itself, as we said from Galatians 4, and we're just talking about what we just talked about. It's right over there, Galatians 4, verse 1, that an heir, if they're still operating as a baby is still in the role of a servant. You're, you should be being trained. You should be being watched over, provided for as a, as a baby, even though the heir is curios, Lord. So if an heir is also curios, what does that mean? We've studied about curios. It's not, it's, it's translated as Lord. It's not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ is Lord. What does Jesus Christ as Lord mean? This is old stuff. You should remember this. Jesus came as a man to deliver. He was fully man, fully God. He became the Christ as he functioned on behalf of the will of the Father through the Father's anointing to do the will of God 
in God's anointing. That's what being Christ-like is. That's what Christians should be. And Lord is fulfilling what your obligations are and doing that and doing it faithfully. We also, in previous studies, equated the term Lord with the Old Testament understanding of what Adonai means. Adonai in the Old Testament means everybody has their place, everybody's answering to the directive of God as their leader, or should be. And Jesus came as a son to fulfill the will of the Father that made him Lord. And then he prays that others like you and like me, the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us according to the will of God. We must fulfill that will. So an heir is not just somebody riding around a hot chariot. My daddy's got a lot of money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm an heir. That preaches good. But if you really look at what an heir is, it means you have been called by God to be something specific. You've, you've been called by God to a specific work, to a specific place. You've been called by God to walk with Adonai and to distribute his authority on behalf of what you're called to be, where you're called to serve, where you're called to fulfill that, and how you're called to do it. That's very interesting, isn't it? So, um, perhaps again in Romans 8, very it's signature passage on your sheet there, um, when the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're willing to grow into this. Um, our spirit that's born again through Christ and only through Christ begins to come alive and to demonstrate what we're called to be. And then we grow uh, into a point where God begins to give you duties representative of what he called you to be, where he called you to be. And if you're faithful in that, then the throne of God gives you greater assignments within that. And then as you've proven yourself faithful there, then you come into that privileged position of working together with Christ. We'll talk about that further here in a minute. But just so that we can gain a continuity of what we're saying here. This is where we are. So, what is the lifeblood of the heir? James 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. In other words, pay attention. Listen up. Has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs, kleronomos, of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him. So God chose you, 
the poor of this world, the poor in spirit, no matter how much money you have. I've known people that are very wealthy who are poor in spirit. I've known people who are paupers who are not poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are going to see God and they're going to walk with him. But here it is, they're rich in faith. That means that they're gaining their, the the most cherished thing that they have is that intercessory place at the right hand of God where Jesus is seated. Secondly, Titus 3.7, being justified by his grace. In other words, our onus is to move forward in grace on behalf of the vision that grace from the throne of grace, reveals to us. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, that does not mean, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Well, glory! What is the hope of eternal life? It's not just, oh, man, I I hope that there's something more than just what we're dealing with here. If in this life only we had hope, we would be of all people most miserable. We've studied about what hope is, elpis. And we've studied about how that is how God draws us into that deep place of fellowship and he imparts through that fellowship place the seed of faith and belief. And this is the eternal process. This is how life grows and develops. And so if we're moving and being made heirs, that supplies us, and we come away with grace and the vision from God to move forward in grace. So the fuel, the lifeblood of the air, should sound familiar. Faith, hope, and love. They're all there. What is love? What is love? It's agape. So now abides faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So the lifeblood of the air is faith, hope, and love moving forward in grace. That's how we continue to move as the body of Christ. That's how we continue to be heirs. That's how we continue to stand in our identity and in the place God has called us where we've covenanted with him. Do you see this? Now, let's keep rolling here. Rolling, rolling, rolling. A look at Abraham. I have to throw in some of those old hymns now and then. Romans 4, 13, 14. For the promise that Abraham should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. And the promise made of none effect. Now, let's look at this. There's two things we want to point out. First of all, this is saying that it's being an heir has nothing to do with the law. Being the heir, an heir doesn't have anything to do with just the base of our growth in Christ. Um, 
it's it's through faith it's through the vision of faith and you know that's very clear but secondly abram was a different kind of a guy he he was the father of all who walk in faith his objective was to show us how to walk in aman how to walk according to the directive of the right hand of God in righteous vision and being a friend of God. That's what his role was. But he wasn't doling out airship here. In fact, he had no continuing city. He just went out and he moved around. And, you know, he he did buy a place for his wife to be buried uh, but, you know, he just roamed around, you know, he's on the plains of Mamre, you know, he's he's uh, over here in, in this place, and then he's in that place. But his objective as the father of all who walk in faith was to show us what God would want for us as his children, to to hear from God, to walk in righteousness, to be a covenant person. He really showed the difference between what the law would be and everybody just being minions and what it meant to be a person who is a friend of God. I love that. I, I, I really do love that. But he's not the father of all who are heirs, even though technically... That is what we should be, aspire to be. He's the father of all who walk in faith. So are you willing to leave uh, the, the pleasant and uh, on earth, uh, the comfortable, to follow God, to do what he says at his right hand? Are you willing to be to wait on the promise from the right hand? Are you willing to even yield up that first fruits on behalf of the God you love? All of those things are lessons in how to be a friend of God. But for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed. That is very very clear. Now, that's from the Apostle Paul. Now, whoever you think the writer to the Hebrews was, whether it was Apollos or Paul or whoever, I, I, I happen to believe, and I'm not trying to knock anybody off your spiritual throne here, that Paul and Apollos were very close. Paul planted, Apollos watered. God gave the increase. Apollos was a teacher. I think they, they were in they were in cahoots together, as it were. Um, they, uh, Apollos followed, basically, the teachings of Paul. And uh, Aquila and Priscilla helped him to grow in that way. You remember that from studying the scripture. Apollos was a great teacher. And I believe he loved God. So, even if this was Apollos, or if it were Paul, there are nuances, ways of writing here that is different from the syntax of the way Paul wrote. I readily acknowledge that. But the concepts are the same. And 
you know, the, the dressing to the Hebrews was also a very important designation. And so, whether this was Paul or Apollos, this was the same message. And so, I'm good with that. This is the Word of God. But the authorship uh, is, not, is not that big of a deal. The, the Holy Ghost was the author. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, Here's joint heirs of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, this joint heirs, Syncleronimos, Syncleronimos, you could say Cleronimos, Geronimo, you can say Syncleronimos. Sin means together with, amalgamed with. And it's really speaking about Isaac and Jacob. And in this, it was saying that these three patriarchs were part of the covenant given to Abraham. When Abraham blessed Isaac, he gave that covenant blessing. And then we all know the craziness that went on with Isaac with Jacob and Esau and the blessing and Jacob got it but that's another story in the Bible um, you know it's, it's just really interesting but here joint heir describes what happens with Isaac and Jacob they're joint heirs with Abraham and with one another on behalf of faith. But notice, Abram, the father of all who walk in faith, he's sojourning. He's moving around. He, uh, and again, like I said, you know, he's not really demonstrating um, take the land, take a stand, uh, represent the kingdom, welcome the kingdom into this place. He's, he's going around. Maybe he's sowing seed. Maybe he's investing that. Um, but the Bible clearly says that he's the father of all who walk in faith. We've already talked about that. But the, the point here for us is, if you want to understand what a joint heir is, that Jacob and Isaac became that with Abraham on behalf of the covenant. So they, they shared that covenant. They were, they were not something different. They shared that covenant. So when we're talking about being a joint heir with Christ, we have to remember that whatever Christ did, the anointed son, that's what we're doing. Whatever Christ does, even now at the right hand of God, that's what we're doing. 
and and you, but you have to follow the progression just as we did um, and just as you did you have to be willing to pray to the father wanting his eternal will you have to be willing to obey the spirit in those initial stages you have to be willing to then to be developed into what god has ordained you to be you then have to be willing to put that into action in obedience then you have to be willing to take a stand where he's called you to stand. You see, that progression is very clear here. And only then can you really be functioning in the fullness. And then that is a development. Ephesians 4.11, which we, through those scriptures, which we just read, we want to move as a perfect, toward perfection, in what God wants us to be as Christ-like on this earth and in the heavens, into a demonstration of the pure function, the perfection of what God wants. So this is good news for the Gentiles, Ephesians 3, 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, sin chloronomos, and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I hope you see that. And the Gentiles are to be the tabernacle of David. We are supposed to be going to the places that God says in establishing his tabernacles, which then is a precursor to the welcoming of his temple, uh, Manucha. The example of marriage is also used here. 1 Peter 3, 7. And this speaks of Christ and his church. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. We've studied about weaker vessel does not mean something inferior. It means something that is precious and something that is specialized. As being heirs together, sin chloronomos, that's joint heirs, of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. But, you know... You look, I mean, you have a common mission on earth. You, 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 you're, you're not one in spirit, you're one in flesh. We have to understand that. But, you know, for instance, this past weekend, I was willing, blessed to be um, at a wedding. And I saw people from my church who were seeing their son married and both of those people had an investment into that son they were both committed into him they they did whatever was necessary to raise him to to fulfill his development and there they were presenting him in marriage and it flowed perfectly they were joint heirs in that because they were committed to the same thing. And nothing is more depictive of that than what you do for your children. I mean, that's there. And so when we speak about being joint heirs with Christ, what does that mean in that process of development? That means by the time you have started to pray to the Father, by the time you started to commit yourself to the development of 
your spirit through the power of God. Uh, you guide as He guides you into truth, and then as you you begin to display points of growth as as a as a obedient child, and then you you begin to take responsibility for what God created you to be. You then begin to take responsibility in the place God called you to serve. And then after all of that, in that progression, otherwise you would not really understand or function in what it means to be a joint heir, would you? You then are being given the privilege of serving God at the throne as an intercessor with a heightened measure with a heightened measure of responsibility and authority. It's not that we're better than anybody else. It's not a competition. It's not a jealousy. It's just this progression that we can all participate in. But then the question comes, are you willing to be what God has called you to be? Or are you struggling to be the girl at the corner office? Is your ambition, I don't see ambition anywhere here. I don't see it anywhere. I see submission and obedience and agape. Well, that's everywhere. There's a way the enemy enemy attacks all of these things. He hates the whole plan. But he'll he'll try to he'll uh, how you know that'd be a good study. We don't focus on the enemy, but how does the enemy attack in every one of these progression points? Very easy to see. Very easy to see. But if you are at peace in all of these areas, then you can move with Christ in a glorious way. Now, is Jesus with you? Yes. Is he with the old timer that knows nothing about this, that's just waiting for the rapture? Yes. Does he love all of his children? Yes, I'm not taking any of that away. But I'm saying this is a progression that is in Scripture. And we are called to be heirs and joint heirs. And I think that's one of the reasons why God uh, has had us reviewing this book of remembrance and our covenant with him. Because it basically speaks about this progression, doesn't it? Now, I know we're out of time, but some of you have been listening to this at double speed anyway, so you've got, I've got at least 30 more minutes with you. I'm not going to take that long, but look there at the last part of this outline. A suggested connection of heirs and joint heirs with kings and lords. Now, as we're going to look at these two passages in Revelation, then be done. Give me five more minutes, okay? Um, there in Galatians 4, it speaks about how that Curios, which is having authority but obeying the directive of the one God that's over you, how that is linked with being an heir. Revelation 17, verses 12 through 14. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, 
and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Okay, what's that mean? He's Lord of lords. That is heirs. King of kings, to me, would have to mean the thing that is directly advanced from being an heir. That is a joint heir. There's heightened measure of authority in that. And what are they? What are they? They are called, chosen, and faithful. Kletos, they accepted the call. Chosen, they are moving as the ecclesia, but the definitive role of the ecclesia, the eclectos, and their pistis, faithful. They are functioning in harmony with what goes on at the right hand of the throne. King of kings, Lord of lords. Look at Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed upon him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And, not a, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, and that's his outer cloak, his garment, his authority uh, designation, and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Why is it written both places? Because to me, the vesture represents a measure of authority that is exemplary and beyond the norm. And on his thigh, that represents your being willing to go and stand. You're being willing to represent the kingdom which is the Basileia, which is the place of where your feet shall tread. You've got to have both the vesture and the thigh. You've got to have kings and lords. Interesting. Interesting, isn't it? So I think that we're being given the opportunity to understand this now because... It's like a valedictorian speech. We're moving into something new, and this measure of heightened authority and responsibility, being Christ-like as joint heirs, is something that has to, to function. And and then we've got to we've got to be disciple and create disciples who understand this. Just being in the church, as precious as that is, is not going to cut it. Just being in, uh, in the love of God is wonderful. But that's, that's not what's going to be doing the battle in these end times. You've got to grow. You've got to develop. And, you know, you could, you could extrapolate off of this to our study on 
the development of the human spirit and how praying in, in unknown tongues, our spirit prays, diversities of tongues, those tongues of grace. Uh, you know, all of these all of these areas are supported by plethora of scriptures. And this is where we are. So this is Bible study, and this is this is what we needed to share today. So I speak blessing over you. I thank God for you. Let's grow in grace together, and let's be all that our Father wants us to be, shall we? So I speak that over you in Jesus' name. I invite you to go back and study this. This is strong meat. What do you do with strong meat? You have to digest it. Babies can't eat strong meat. Babies won't digest it. But you are not babies. So chew it up. Hear what the Father is saying to you, heirs and joint heirs. And let's grow together in God. And uh, what is that name that is written that nobody knows but him? What is the name that is written over you that nobody knows but God? What is the name that is written on that stone that nobody knows but you? These are all biblical terms. It is your unique identity from God, and you have to cherish it. It's not somebody else's opinion of you. It's not what uh, your forefather and your grandma and your great-grandpa and, you know, I've just got to be that way. I have no choice. We inherit certain things. But this is from God, the beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Let us have that set over us. So I took maybe seven minutes. Forgive me for misstating. But thanks for being with me today. God bless you all. Let's study this. But most importantly, let's be this. For our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for being here. Goodbye.